when I was in foster care, I started at two and I got out of foster care almost 14 years old. I guess the hardest part would have been not knowing the people or how long I was gonna be there. Within a home, you never know when you're leaving. They usually don't show as much love. It's just uh, the next person coming in. Um, to be honest, I had a lot of preconceived ideas about um, what fostering looked like, what about fostering to adopt looked like. They brought in actual foster families, and at one point they brought in foster kids of these families, and these kids were older. They were 10, they were 12, they were 14 years old. And when you start to listen to their stories and you start to understand, like, they may never know what home means. One of the things that we learned very quickly is that foster care or foster to adopt can be very lonely because your job is to protect those children and to protect their story. And because you can't share those things, it does make you feel a little isolated and it makes you feel like you're carrying a lot of weighty things all on your own. Oh, that was bad. <laughs> that was sure the system part definitely comes alive. The kids aren't the only ones who feel it. Some of the parents feel it too, that are fostering or adopting. So one thing I would change is loving those kids, loving the parents who take in kids and just building a community through that because that's what the kids really need. When you don't have that, you're walking life alone. So as Compassion Christian Church moves towards this foster care initiative and fostering compassion, one of the things that we um, are doing is creating these care teams. We talk to life groups and we ask life groups to step up and be a care team for a foster family and their community. That care team connects with this foster family and they serve as their support group. They serve as their community. Having people that are willing to just come around a family and just love on them. Just show up and say, hey, I'm bringing dinner tonight. That's one less thing that you have to worry about this week. If they don't have to worry about what's on the menu that night, it allows their brain to have the space to focus on the things that they need to focus on. Or to say, hey, what about if we just come over and sit and you can have an hour to go to the grocery store by yourself? That's huge. I think it is very important to be embraced as a foster parent and for the children that will be fostered. More children need to know that they're loved and even if it is just temporary, that they're loved and that they have people who care for them, whether they leave or they stay. When we as a church start to come around these families as care teams for them or when we as a family decide, yes, I want to be a part of foster care, we realize that we can make a difference here and now. And so it makes me feel hopeful that for Chatham County, Bullock County, Liberty County, all those areas that we touch right now, that there's kids' lives who are about to be changed, all because we've said, this is a priority and this is a value, and we love Jesus and this is what we're gonna do.
Man, I'll tell you, I love that media piece because it demonstrates just the layer after layer after layer of nobility, you know, in our church family. And I think that's an awesome thing. I want to welcome everybody, uh, you know, on all of our campuses today. We're glad to have you with us. Those of you who are watching on the live stream, man, we're glad you're with us as well. Hey, you know, last week was one of those weeks that we pray for, that we go the extra mile for, uh, and then we thank God for when we see the outcome, you know, of all those prayers and all those efforts. Uh, last week we finished up a series of messages that we call Wonder, where we kind of unpack what happens in our worship services each week. And let me just say that if you missed what happened here last week, you missed something uh, that is going to make heaven and earth a much happier place Dude, if you've ever wondered why baptisms are part of our service, you know, we answered that question last week, uh, and man, we invited anybody who wanted to honor the Lord by being baptized to boldly just come forward, and friends, 203 people were baptized in our services last week across all of our campuses. Let's praise the Lord for that, man. Oh, man. Man, we had some people make the good confession in uh, Spanish in our Latino service. Uh, muy bonito. Amen. Yeah. Uh, one lady made her way down the stairs with a broken foot, and I offered to just, you know, put her into the tank like this, and she took one look at me and said, you look a little sketchy to me, I'll be fine. She's walking, she's walking now, right? Uh, one lady was watching on the live stream, got in her car, drove to Henderson to be baptized here before the service was over, which I thought was awesome. And man, since then, I've heard some just dramatic life change stories, which of course are the result of boldly declaring the gospel, and then people responding boldly and God bringing spiritually dead people to life. And listen, man, if you wish you'd have made that decision last week, it is not too late. It is not too late. You come forward at the end of this service, give your life to Jesus, same thing will happen for you. Let's thank God for all those folks one more time, shall we? Come on. Man, awesome, awesome, awesome. Now, if you were baptized last week, Growth Track starts next week. Everybody say Growth Track. Growth track on every campus, man, jump in. You know, little babies are born weak and then they get strong. That's how it is in your spiritual life. You're born, born again weak and then you just get strong, strong, strong as fast as you want to. And growth track is the uh, jump start on that. Now, today we're going to start a new series of messages that we're calling Here and Now. And friends, part of this series is a celebration of our global mission efforts around the world. And I just think you're going to love this. We're going to have lots of international guests with us next week. Man, we hold this celebration every year because we have a vision from God for global impact. And man, today we're going to launch this series talking about a simple and yet super powerful way to make a difference for Christ right here, right now in our community. Now, a couple years ago, a writer for the New York Times named Nicholas Kristof wrote an amazing editorial about the power of Christian compassion. And it's ironic because he is not a Christian. He's not a follower of Jesus, and yet he wrote, it, wrote this column in the New York Times, which is not exactly an evangelical publication, about the work of evangelical believers in the world. Here's an excerpt. He said, evangelicals, now when you see this word, this word means followers of Jesus who take the New Testament seriously. Now, you know there are people who claim to be Christians who do not take the New Testament seriously. And there are churches where they don't even teach it. They don't even, nobody's encouraged to even read the Bible. But evangelicals are followers of Jesus who have a very high view of the scripture and they take it dead serious. He said evangelicals are disproportionately likely to donate 10% of their income to charities, most of them church related. More important, they are disproportionately likely to go to the front lines at home or abroad in the battle against hunger and malaria and prison rape and obstetric fistula and human trafficking and genocide. He says some of the bravest people you will meet are evangelical Christians 
who are truly living out their faith. Then he goes on to say, I'm not particularly, listen to this now, I'm not particularly religious myself, but I stand in awe of those I see risking their lives this way, and it sickens me to see that faith mocked in New York City cocktail parties. Now, why did Mr. Christoph, a non-believer, write this editorial praising the impact of the faith of followers of Jesus like us? We're evangelicals. Let me tell you one reason. Compassion. Everybody say compassion. compassion. He sees it. In this article, he praises the impact of Dr. Stephen Foster, who is a you know, grown-up child of a Christian missionary in Africa who has shown you know, courageous compassion in the name of Jesus, given his life to caring for the poor and the sick in war-torn Angola. And Christoph says he's not particularly religious. But dude, how do you not admire a compassionate story like that? And I just want to suggest that Mr. Christoph has been impacted by the most powerful, life-changing, culture-changing thing we can do, which has allowed Jesus to produce a compassion story through us right here, right now. And friends, after praying and fasting for over a year, our church leaders have a specific ministry target in mind that we believe will enable all of our campuses to powerfully tell an undeniable compassion story that will be heard by all of our friends, believers and non-believers alike in Chatham, Bryan, Effingham, Bullock and Liberty Counties and beyond. And here's how we think we can do it. By showing compassion, the compassion of Jesus to the least of these right here in our community, helpless children who desperately need to be a part of a compassion story. Now, I've been praying for three reactions to this message today. For most of us, this compassion story is going to become something we pray about. I mean, we're going to start praying specifically about this, and then our prayers are going to open doors that only Jesus can open. But for many of us, this compassion story will be about God putting a burden on your heart to help. To help. You can help, and God is going to put a burden on your heart to help in the name of Jesus. And let me tell you, there are a million small powerful ways to do that. And then finally, for some of us, for a few of us, this compassion story is going to be about God calling you to invite a child into your family in a way that will heal and bless and change you and that child forever. Now, last year, the leadership team uh, on our pastoral staff and our local outreach team from our church made an appointment to visit with the folks at DFAX uh, in downtown Savannah. DFAX is the Division of Family and Children's Services we just wanted to go and thank them. We took gift bags down. We gave a gift bag to every uh, you know, caseworker. Uh, we just wanted to see if there was any need that they had that we could pray about or help with here at home. Because as you know, if you've been around here for long, we aggressively uh, have drilled freshwater wells and, and built orphanages and schools and, and student centers to help needy kids on five continents around the world. We do that action every day, kind of assuming that, you know, surely we got everything okay back at the house, right? One trip to defects. Is all it took to disabuse me of that illusion. Friends, in the five counties that our church directly impacts here in South Georgia, there are 976 children who are displaced. They're in home situations, listen, that are so dysfunctionally dangerous that the government has to go in and take those children's, children out of those homes just to keep the kids safe. Now think about that. Think about, think about the legal ramifications Defects cannot legally pull a kid out until their situation is so bad that they are visibly and legally in danger. They are unsafe. 
So imagine the abuse and neglect that many of those kids have endured long before defects ever got involved. And then the question becomes, well, where can those kids go that is safe? I mean, we've all heard the horror stories of kids who got abused in foster care, which is a double tragedy. And I think the solution to this dilemma is surprisingly simple. It's not easy. It's just simple. We've been told that if there were 250 new foster homes in our five counties, in addition to the ones you know, that we already have, that every child in need in our region could be cared for. Every needy child. And friends, if those 250 homes were compassion Christian homes, then those kids would be in a godly home with godly foster parents, going to a church with relevant student ministries where you know, they can find a life-changing relationship with Jesus and build some positive friends. And of course, the biggest need, yeah, let's thank God for that, right? <laughs> On faith that we're going to do something about it. Because the biggest need is for sibling groups, you know, two, two brothers, brother and a sister, three kids, uh, and teenagers. I mean, you saw a video a moment ago about two sisters and a brother who were fostered by a family in our church and eventually adopted by that family. But two of those kids were teenagers when they were eventually adopted. And friends, I could not even describe to you today the richness that those three have brought to that family and, and to our church. It's amazing. But let me tell you, it's not always amazing. I mean, nothing real is ever always amazing. Can I hear amen? One foster mom in our church told me at this point our family is 16 months into the foster care journey, 16 months into the most challenging, gut-wrenching, frustrating, emotional, powerful, life-changing, beautiful thing our family has ever done. We'll never be the same. Our kids will never be the same. And praise God for that. Now, there's a big difference between fostering a child and adopting a child. Now, the goal of foster care is to reunite children in a healed family. Everybody say healed. healed. Fostering is intentionally and therapeutically temporary. Kids in a dangerous, unsafe family. And so we're going to pull them out until that family is healed. The hope is that when defect steps in, it will create such a crisis that the family will wake up. And they'll repent and get help with the addiction or the abuse or neglect or whatever it is because they know if they don't, they're going to lose custody of that child. Consequently, sometimes that foster child just needs a, a, a place of respite. They just need a place for overnight or for three or, five, three or four or five days, kind of a, you know, an emergency port in a storm you know, to protect that child. Other times, that family needs longer to kind of figure things out. And so the child could be in a foster home, like we heard a few minutes ago, for weeks or months or years. I spoke with a lady in our community, Miss Lisa Ferguson. Uh, Lisa told me she is a proud Chatham County foster parent. Uh, she and her husband quit counting when they hit 116 kids, foster kids that they have had in their home over the last 11 years. That was after her two daughters, who are in their 30s now, uh, graduated from college. And, and Lisa and her husband love it. They're partners in this thing. They love it. She believes that God has used her to love and bless a lot of children who have now gone back to their home, but who will always love and cherish her because of the gift of compassion that she gave them. And she has seen miracles of healing and redemption happen. It's been amazing. But you know, families don't always repent. And they don't always change. And that's why there's adoption. 
Now, the goal of adoption is to permanently add a child to a healthy family that will love them and care for them. And friends, you need to know that in our Compassion Christian family, there are many, many, many families in our church who have already adopted children or, well, you know, dozens of families who are in the process right now of becoming foster homes so that they can love and care for a child temporarily until that family heals. Now, the reason why is that both fostering and adoption, adopting children is such a godlike thing to do. I mean, it's pure compassion. Man, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says the reason any of us are even saved today is because compassion moved our Father in heaven to adopt us. He said, man, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Man, this is what God wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure to do this. I mean, God just loves to see the difference that compassion can make. You know, when we leave a dysfunctional and dangerous past to be adopted into his family where we find peace and love and joy in a relationship with God as our father, it's awesome. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in his book, Pure and Genuine Religion in the Sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Let's say this all together, y'all. Big voice. Ready? Here we go. Come on. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Now, friends, historically, uh, as uh, Mr. Christoph noted in, in his article in the New York Times, followers of Jesus have literally changed our world because typically we do not turn away from hurting people. I mean, like Jesus, when we see people in need, particularly powerless people like widows and orphans, Man, our hearts are moved by the Holy Spirit to compassion. Dude, we foster compassion because we can all do that. We all have the Holy Spirit, right? We're good at this. Now, friends, let me share with you a familiar story from Acts chapter 3. Turning your Bible to Acts 3. Acts 3. Who's got your Bible? Let me see who brought one. Come on. Hold it up if you got it. If you're carrying today, that's good. That's good. Acts chapter 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts chapter 3. Uh, we're going to find the story of Peter and John, two famous early church leaders doing just doing what Jesus called and equipped them to do. And while they were at it, their compassion became an example of kind of a blueprint that we can follow as we try to foster compassion in our church today. Now look at verse 1. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going to the temple courts. Now they put him in a place where he's likely to get help at the door of the, of the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his, his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet. He began to walk. He went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Man, when all the people saw this guy walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, friends, this is a famous compassion story. And let me tell you what the first thing I learned about, uh, learned from this story is. If you want to foster compassion, you got to get out of the house. Amen? <laughs> Dude, you got to get out of the house. Did you notice in verse 1, the story begins 
when one day Peter and John are going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Now, Jim Wallace in his book, Faith Works, says that if you want to grow in compassion, this is where you start. You've got to get out of the house more often. Now, when we read that text where it says Peter and John, you know, were on their way to the temple, what do you think? Oh, they're going to church. They're going to church. They're going to talk about Jesus. They're going to praise the Lord. They're going to pray. It's going to be comfortable. It's going to be safe. Everybody's going to know Jesus. It's going to be awesome. Are you crazy? Friends, the leaders of the temple are the people who crucified Jesus. They were opposed to Jesus. When Peter and John went there, they went to reach lost people with the gospel. They went to reach hostile people, you know, who knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. They went to win lost people to Christ. They went to an uncomfortable place because that is where the love of Jesus needs to be shown the most. And man, if you're going to build a compassionate story in your life, something we can talk about in heaven one day, we can talk about how we all foster compassion in our heart, you got to get out of that comfort zone, man. I can't tell you how many times God has called me to leave this, you know, safe place, you know, where uh, the church and you know, my Christian brothers and sisters where I feel so comfortable. Get out of here and go to an uncomfortable place and show the compassion of Jesus to somebody who desperately needs it. Now, last week, last week's baptisms were awesome. I mean, they were awesome. Loved it. All right. And let me just tell you all so you'll know. I have baptized people in the Jordan River. No, that is not John the Baptist. That is your pastor. <laughs> in the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized, everybody. So if you think, oh man, our pastor's the man. You're right about that because I've been to the Jordan River and I've baptized people, all right? It's awesome. I, I baptized my mom in the Jordan River. It didn't work the first time, so I just held her under longer and it, was, it, it worked out. <laughs> but can I just tell you, these are not the most memorable uh, baptisms I've ever done. I can remember when Jerry Thompson, Pastor Jerry Thompson, this is Phil Fincher's dad, the pastor down at Midway, he and I went to a prison in South Carolina and led a Bible study there. And at the end of that Bible study, we baptized 11 guys into Christ. And we said, where can we baptize them? They said, there was a creek right over there. We went to that creek. It was a black water, okey looking creek. Well, I'm I'm, we went down in that muddy, nasty, water moccasin-looking thing while the prison guards were standing up on the hill. I mean, like... They stand on the hill holding shotguns like this to kill anybody who tried to escape. Shotguns. I'm like, dude, can't you bring a rifle? A shotgun hit me too. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> I wasn't sure he was all sincere converts, but let me just tell you, those were sincere. Those guys gave their life to Jesus. We baptized them in that Blackwater Creek. It's the most joyful baptism I've ever been a part of and one of the most memorable ones of my life. Friends, I heard from one of those guys 15 years later. He was living in Illinois, still praising God that somebody came to prison with the good news of Jesus for him. Now, I don't know what God is going to call you to do to get out of your comfort zone and show his compassion. But I do know this. One of our most effective foster families got that call in Ukraine. <laughs> they were on one of our medical mission trips from the church here. Mom got invited to go. She said, I ain't going to Ukraine. Are you crazy? I got a little tiny baby. I got a kid that's going to have a birthday in the middle of that trip. I'm not, anywhere, no way in the world I'm going to it. But her husband was leading the trip. And he said, will you just pray about it? And she's like, all right. And you know what? <laughs> don't pray if you don't hear from the Lord. Amen. She started praying. She got into conviction about going on that trip, man. So she tearfully left her kids with her mama. And bro, she and her husband went to Ukraine. She said, looking back, it was one of the defining moments of her life in many ways. One was she became a really good friend of her translator who goes to the church that we support in Kherson in the Ukraine, where there is a foster family living at the top floor of that church that is fostering 10 kids 
Because in Ukraine, if something, nobody fosters them, they live in the sewers. I mean, we got pictures of that. It's brutal, right? And Ashley, when she heard there were 10 kids in this foster family living at the church, she said, oh, good for them. That's so amazing that they're doing that. They must be really special people. I could never do that. Those kids are so blessed to have them. And the translator, whose name is Yulia, who's a friend of ours, she looked at Ashley and said, so help me understand, is it not normal for believers in America to take care of orphans? Which is the verbal equivalent to, <laughs> right? She said, man, that question cut through all of my excuses and opened my heart to fostering a child who desperately needs the kind of love that she and her family are just experts at. They're experts at it. And so when they came home, they started the process. And let me tell you, it's the commitment to become a foster parent. They had, they had another baby before they got certified to be foster parents. I mean, it's, it's a long process, right? Then she wrote, for the last 16 months, they have been a home and a safe harbor for a beautiful little girl who will always be blessed because of the love she has received in this home. Now notice that we're not showing this kid's face. These children are wards of the court. You're never going to see the picture of a foster child uh, here at church. We can't show their picture, but we can love them. Amen? Amen. We can love them. We can minister to them. We can lead them to Jesus. Man, it is uh, amazing. Listen, we're good at this kind of stuff. We're good at this. The Holy Spirit makes us good at it. Can you imagine the difference it might make in our community if 10,000 compassion Christians just started praying for 250 families to rise up in our church to foster you know, the, the rest of those 976 kids in our region who need a home and a safe harbor where they can experience the compassion of Jesus? Can you imagine the kind of stories we'd be telling in our church five years from now because of those prayers, because of those efforts? So, you know, step one to fostering compassion is just get out of the house, man. Step two, if you want to foster compassion, you got to see the individual. Everybody say, individual. individual. In verse four, it says, Peter looked straight at the guy. So did John. Philip's translation said, Peter looked intensely at the man. Now, you got to understand, this is not what he was used to. Let me tell you what he's used to. He's used to people seeing him and going, y'all ain't never done that, have you? See somebody in there, oop, boop. He's used to people walking by going, don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. So he's surprised when Peter says, hey, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention. There's an attorney named Dale who lives in Tallahassee, Florida. You know, high six-figure six income. This guy's negotiated deals for Dolphin Stadium and the Port of Miami. I mean, this guy is a stud in the business world, right? But he's also a follower of Jesus. And so he was invited to come to the Good News Soup Kitchen in Tallahassee and serve. And when he signed up, showed up to serve, uh, let me just read you what he said about his experience. He said, I showed up every day in my three-piece suit to help from 11 to 1.30. They assigned me door duty. Door duty. My, my job was to make sure street people were lining up to eat in an orderly fashion. <laughs> he said, so every day I stood at the door for an hour just chatting with the street people who were, who were waiting to eat. He said, you know, before I started serving soup, food at the soup kitchen, street people was a meaningless term to me. I mean, it just defined a group without really defining anybody in particular. Because, you know, from the comfort of my car and my nice home and my downtown law office, street people, well, I mean, yeah, they're out there somewhere. Then one day an elderly woman named Helen came running through the door of the soup kitchen and a man was chasing her, threatening to kill her if she didn't give him back his dollar. He said, after 20 minutes of mediation, I finally brought peace by giving each of them a dollar, <laughs> all right? And then that, after, that evening, he said, I, was, I happened to be standing on the corner of Park and Monroe, and in the red twilight, I spied the lonely silhouette 
struggling in my direction from Tennessee Street. It was a street person. And I was about to turn back to my own concerns when I detected something familiar in that shadowy figure, the red scarf, the clear plastic bag with the white border, the mismatched shoes. My gosh, I thought, that's Helen. And my eyes froze on her as she limped by and turned up the street. No doubt she'd crawl under a bush to spend the night somewhere. My mind had always just dismissed people and, you know, street people in seconds. But he said, I could not expel the picture of Helen. He said, that night as I lay in my $1,500 deluxe temperature control bed, I couldn't sleep. A voice kept asking, wonder where Helen's sleeping tonight? No street person had ever interfered with my sleep before. But that shadowy figure with the red scarf and the plastic bag and the mismatched shoes followed me home. I made a fatal mistake. I learned her name. Now, you know, if I ask any member of our church, are you a compassionate person? What would you say? You'd say, yes. Give me a name. I need a name. I mean, sure, it's easy to say, yeah, I feel compassionate for people who are hurting. Who? Who? Give me the name of somebody you've shown compassion to. Because I'm telling you, Peter sees an individual. Thousands of people walk by that guy every day. But Peter saw him. And I'm thinking, you know, for some of us, maybe the reason we don't see the individual is because we have a problem with mistaken identity. We don't know who these foster kids are, <laughs> you know? I mean, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the ultimately, if I'd only known it was you story. He says in Matthew 25 that one day he's going to return and he's coming back in power. And he says that when he returns, he will divide everyone into two groups. I'm going to put the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left, just like a shepherd. All right. And every human being is either going to be with the sheep on the right hand or with the goats on the left. And then he will say to those on his right, come to me, all you who are blessed of my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? Because I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was in prison. You came to visit me. Maybe he'll say, I was an abused child. You fostered me. I was an unwanted child. You stopped the abortion and you adopted me. I was a harried foster parent and you encouraged me and helped me. You bought a pizza for my family. And then to those on the left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? Well, I was hungry and you knew it. You just looked the other way. You just pretended you didn't see. I was thirsty. You never gave me anything to drink. I didn't have a safe place to live. You did nothing. And then Jesus says both groups will ask the same question. You know what it is? Lord, when did we ever see you like that? When did we see you that way, treat you that way, provide for or neglect you like that? And Jesus will say, whatever you did to the least of these, you did it to me. Say it with me, everybody. Whatever you did to the least of these, you did it for me. And whatever you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. And then you know what everybody's going to say? Jesus, Jesus, if we'd only known it was you. Friends, I think that if the Lord comes back 10 years from now, or so I'm not telling you when the Lord's coming back. I'm just saying he's coming back, all right? But when the Lord comes back 10 years from now and he gathers all the compassion Christians on his right, I really believe he's going to say, when you prayed for those displaced kids in your region, you showed compassion to me. When you opened your home to a child, you opened your home to me. 
Dude, when your life group, your D group, your family went out of your way to support a foster family or took meals to an adoptive family or just cut the grass at a respite home, you did that for me. You know, when we start to see these kids as Jesus, I think we'll recognize them. Now, friends, one more thing we can learn from this story. If you want to foster compassion, you've got to take action. Everybody say action. action. Listen, if there's no action, it ain't compassion. Compassion is a verb. Peter said, listen, man, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I'll give you. Peter understood it wasn't enough just to look at this man and feel sorry for him. He needed to do something about it. That's what compassion looks like. Now, friends, the New Testament says that Jesus was often moved to action by compassion. Now, here's the myth. The myth is that I'm compassionate because I feel compassion. That's a myth. Friends, the measure of compassion is not how you feel. It's what you do because of how you feel. The test of compassion has got to be action. You know, a couple weeks ago, we showed a media piece about a family, you know, who took in the children of some relatives, you know, that, that were going through a bad time. And, they, and you know, the, the relatives were trying to deal with the dysfunction and, and destructiveness in their own marriage. And so this, this couple in our church took in five kids, five cousins. Now, you know, to foster, you don't have to take in five, but that was, they had five kids. And so they took them in. And, and I'll tell you what thrilled me. What thrilled me to watch that media piece and see the support that that family got from their life group right here at church. And, and you know, they, they talked about, you know, you know, somebody in that group brought them a meal uh, one night every week. Of course, you know, there's a couple dozen people in that group. So, I mean, if you're in that group, you only got to show up every other month, right? But it was a godsend to that family. I mean, to have somebody every week showing up just to say, hey, we love you, think about you, here, here, meal's on us. It was so extraordinary that the foster kids started asking, where are these people coming from? How y'all know these folks? Where, how do you have so many friends? And then for the couple to say, well, they go to our church. Well, they just, they just go to our church. They love us. They go to our church. We experience community at our church. Now, friends, this is one of the beautiful things about being a part of a big church is you can make a big difference. I mean, friends, just think about how much encouragement that we could be to a family who feels called. And not everybody's going to feel called to foster a child. Amen? Matter of fact, not everybody ought to foster a child. <laughs> not everybody ought to get married either. Amen? You know what I'm saying? Not everybody ought to get married. Not everybody ought to foster a child. But dude, we can all wrap our arms around somebody who does feel called to open their home to a child. And, and listen, everybody is going to get that call to help. Some of us are going to be called to pray. Man, some of us are going to be called to you know, foster or adopt. Most of us, most all of us, I hope, are in a position to support these families who are going to open their homes in the name of Jesus. To Jesus. Now, I met with a focus group of adoptive and foster parents a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about the little stuff. I mean, little stuff that you can do that some of these kids have never experienced. Fishing. Many of these kids never been fishing. That's a sin. Amen? I mean, that's a sin, right? Never been fishing? You could teach a kid to grill a hamburger. They don't have a mom or dad teaching them how to grill a hamburger. They're drunk. Or teach them how to cut the grass or make a meal or go see a movie. We got kids in our city never seen the ocean. We live in the most beautiful city in America, and they've never seen the ocean, never been out in the country. Some kids have never experienced the things that are so normal to those of us who have been blessed, blessed, blessed. You don't have to have any great skills to show up for a kid like that. And again, the brother of Jesus said, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God our Father means caring for. 
The word caring for, the translation of the Greek word episkopoi. It's a compound Greek word. Epi means over, skapos means to look. It means you look over them in order to look after them. And friends, the Holy Spirit makes us really good at this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're good at this. We, we care for orphans and widows, you know, powerless people, uh, widows, orphans, in their distress and refuse to let the world corrupt us. What does that look like? Corrupted by the world. Don't care. Don't care. James goes on to say in the next chapter, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says, well, go, <laughs> wish you well, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about his physical need, what good is that? And I think the point that James is trying to make is, you know, a little bit of help from a lot of people can do an enormous amount of good. And friends, we can do this. This is a fixable problem. Now, there's a lot of problems, you know, that are just too big in our culture to get our arms around. But 250 compassionate Christians opening their hearts to fostering our adoption. And again, not everybody, but God's going to call some of us to do that. And then 250 life groups, you know, committing to just wrap around those families and support them and love those noble folks. 10,000 compassionate Christians praying that every displaced child in our region will get into a Christian home where they can be saved. These are attainable goals. And friends, if we throw our heart into praying or supporting or fostering or adopting I'm praying five years from today, we will have more foster homes in our community than we have kids who need a foster home. Amen? That's what I'm praying for. Yes. And if we do that, we will be one of two counties in the United States where that is true. The other county's got a church just like ours in it, thank God. Now let's wrap this thing up. Step four. If you want to foster compassion, you've got to act in the name of Jesus. Say it with me, everybody. Act in the name of Jesus. Look at what Peter does in verse 6. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then, man, the guy jumped to his feet and began to walk. Man, he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, praising God. And then when the people and the culture saw him walking and praising God, they were filled with wonder and amazement, thinking, what in the world happened? And then Peter and John and that dude said, let me tell you. And people got saved. Can you imagine the impact we will have for Jesus in our community when the word gets out that there are no displaced children in our community anymore because they are all in a compassionate Christian home? And then, friends, just like people like Nicholas Kristoff, unbelievers, will be filled with wonder and amazement. What is going on over there? Why don't you come and see? Come and see. Now, friend, to end things, we're going to end things a little bit differently today. Um, we're going to talk about the Fostering Compassion Challenge. Now, we've been talking about Fostering Compassion stories, so let me just jump in in a way that maybe we'll ratchet this thing up a little bit and inspire some more stories. Uh, we've got Bibles uh, under and in front of most of our chairs here at Henderson and some of our other campuses. Uh, and Would you look in the Bible in front of you and see if there's an envelope like this in that Bible? It might be, you might be the blessed one. All right, now, if you're downtown or you're at Effingham or... Uh, somewhere that doesn't have Bibles in the chairs there, it's taped under your seat. So just look under your seat, feel under there, and see if there's an envelope like this. And if it is, just pull it out, all right? Just check and see if you got one. we got five or ten of these in every worship center. All right, uh, turn it out. Now, listen, friends, check to see if it's under there. There's a $50 bill in this envelope. Oh, I'll open that Bible now. Where's that Bible at? Yeah, shoot. I got that. Where's that Bible? Right. Okay, I hear you, all right? Now, this money belongs to the Lord. Now, if you got one, hold it up. Let me see. Anybody found one yet? Have we got some? Oh, there you go. God bless you. Others, 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 others. Don't be sitting on that money, y'all. Come on, look for it. We've got nine other envelopes in here. All right, nine other envelopes in here. 
This money belongs to the Lord, and if you've got one, I want to encourage you to consider this an assignment from Jesus. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to use this money to show the compassion of Jesus to one of the foster or adoptive families in our church or in our community. They don't even have to go to our church. They might be somebody you know from work. So here's the rule. Number one, pray for the Holy Spirit to show you how to use this money. Pray for the Holy Spirit to show you how to use this money. Now listen, maybe, maybe you'll just divide it up among your family members so all your kids can get involved. Or maybe, you know, you can challenge somebody in your group to add to it. And so now you got, you got, you got 100 bucks, and now you can do something a little bit bigger. Or maybe invest it in pizza for some adoptive family now if you, or, or some foster family. And, and listen, if you want to know where to get two, I mean, awesome pizzas for 50 bucks, come talk to me afterwards. As you can tell, I know, all right? <laughs> I know where that pizza is, all right? But, but listen, man, just, we'll, we'll get you the name. If you don't know somebody, we'll help you figure out who it is. Or you figure it out. You're smart. You figure it out. Number two, thoughtfully use this money to show compassion outside the words of this walls of our church. Don't put this in the offering box on the way out. And don't use this to bless somebody at the coffee shop on your campus, man. Find a family that's in this fight and use this money to bless them with some compassion. Number three, make sure you act in the name of Jesus. Now, however you use this money to foster compassion, think of a way to make sure they know that this money came from Jesus. All right? This is not, your, this is not about you. You're not the hero of this story. Jesus is. Amen? You're just the mailman. <laughs> You're the delivery person. All right? You're going to do this because your love for Jesus has moved you to show love to them. And then, number four, call or email us with your fostering compassion story. Call or email me here at church with your fostering compassion story. We've got an email address on the envelope here, uh, on the envelope, and there's a phone number and there's an email address, and you can write it down right now because I know how y'all are. Some of y'all didn't get a $50 envelope, but you want to get in on this thing. Maybe you didn't get 50 bucks, but you got 50 bucks that you could invest in fostering compassion. Dudes, rise up. Go for it. Now, here's the clock. Here's the clock we're going to put you on. Our Faith Promise Celebration ends 21 days from today. So if you've got an envelope, I need to hear your compassion story in 21 days. I need you to tell me your story in 21 days. Even if you didn't get an envelope and you jump on this thing, send me your story in 21 days. Remember, this money belongs to God. This may be the 50 most important dollars you will ever be responsible for in your life. Now, to some of you, $50 isn't that much. I mean, this is money being entrusted to you to show God's compassion to somebody else. That's awesome. For the rest of you, you didn't receive $50, but you got 50 you got 50 minutes. you got 50 minutes in the next 21 days. And like Peter, if you don't have any money, you could do something. You could give, you could give 50 minutes, man. And then email, email, email us what happened because you did. Now, last week, we watched thousands of, uh, thousands of us watch 203 people be baptized into Christ. And we did not respond to that invitation because we already made that move. Today, I'm inviting every compassion Christian to get involved somehow in solving the displaced child problem in our region. Now, write this down, y'all. If you will text FOSTER to 313131, we will answer any questions you've got. How can I pray? Who can I pray for? How can I get involved? If you have any interest in being a foster parent, we'll tell you how to get trained to do that right here at our church. It, it used to take a year, but we got that, that time uh, knocked down uh, much shorter now. This is just... This is not, to, if you accidentally text this, they don't bring a kid over to your house this afternoon, all right? <laughs> this, is for, <laughs> this is for information. <laughs> and if they do, show the compassion of Jesus, all right? But it ain't going to happen from us, all right? 
But, but you know what I'm saying? This is just information. That's just for information. We want to answer questions. It's not an auto sign-up thing. Now, 23 Compassion Christian families are already in this fight. And twice that many are being trained right now. So we're already 20% toward our goal. Just text and find out what you can do to help. Now, if you're not that techie, uh, go to Connecting Point, and we've got an analog version. We've got it typed out on some clay tablets, and you can, uh, you know, get that. I'm just kidding about that. You know, we'll, just, we'll get you moving, right? But friends, just remember, Jesus said, by this will everyone know you're my disciples. Because you can quote a thousand verses of Scripture. No. Because you study the Bible more than anybody else. No. Because you don't smoke and drink. No. Everybody will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And if you received an envelope, if you're comfortable with this, would you stand up so that we can all pray for you, so I can pray for you? Would you stand up if you got one of these envelopes? If you're comfortable. God bless you. Look at her. Bold soul. Bold soul. <laughs> Love you. The rest of y'all get busy and find our other envelopes in here. There's some more envelopes in here, all right? But anyway, all right, now everybody else stand up. Okay, now, ma'am, how about you slide over here and put a hand on her shoulder so she'll know she's not alone in this, okay? If anybody else is standing up, put a hand on their shoulder. Don't, don't break them down now, y'all. Don't lean on them. Just pray for them, all right? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the opportunity we have today to think about this, this problem in our culture that like the church has historically done, we can solve in the dark ages, Lord, due to the black death, the church just moved in that dark time and, and, and made a huge difference. Lord, uh, when, when babies were just abandoned because it was the wrong gender or because they didn't like the look of them, the church picked those kids up and raised them in godly homes and, and just changed the world. Lord, today in Africa, there are compassion kids that people you know, have supported and educated who, who are now members of parliament and running for president, Lord, because of that investment. And I just pray that right here in Savannah and in uh, all the cities, Lord, Chatham, Bullock, Liberty, uh, Bryan, Effingham, all the counties that we impact directly. I pray, God, that we will solve this problem by your, by your help, by your spirit. We believe you've led us to do this. Give us strength. And Lord, help us to show the compassion of Jesus. Bless these folks who have received these envelopes on all of our campuses today. Lord, as they show your compassion and a stranger brings a gift in the name of Jesus that could change somebody's life. Bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.